Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really great to have you for the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. But it's not just any Friday here on the Three Martini Lunch. Yes, Christmas is this weekend, so that's very exciting, of course. Uh, but it's also the start today of our six-part year-end awards. We started these when we first started the podcast back in 2010, which makes these, Jim, the lucky 13th annual Three Martini Lunch Awards. Amazing. So six days, three different categories each day. And today we start with most overrated political figure or figures, underrated, and the most honest, which as we uh, have a disclaimer every year, the hardest one to come up with nominees for. So, Jim, lead us off. Who is the most overrated political figure in 2022? Well, Greg, I'm glad we begin with the category of most overrated, because I don't know about you, that's one contest. I'm like, oh my goodness, I can come up with so many good options for that. <laughs> There's that candidate. I, I was really tempted to go with some of the Republican candidates who looked like they had a shot in some of these key races and then just kind of flopped down the stretch. But I, I think when you talk about just the sheer height to performance ratio, uh, a lot of strong contenders, and I, I may well have named this figure in the past, but I think Stacey Abrams, you may be, you, you probably are now rank amongst the most overrated political figures of all time. You could think back to the infamous uh, first grade or kindergartner or whatever elementary school event that was where she was not wearing a mask, but all the kids around them were, around her were. There's just this amazing inverse relationship between the kind of traits that impress the editors of Vogue or Vanity Fair or any one of these you know glossy national magazines, which by the way don't really focus in politics, but every you know every month or two they seem to find some Democratic candidate who they believe is the next big thing. And Stacey Abrams has been the next big thing for several years now. And there's just this little factor that she can't win races. And she lost the last one by 50,000 votes. She insisted it was stolen. Her claims were all nonsense. Those claims became a lot more embarrassing after Trump started making similar arguments in 2020 or after the 2020 election. She came back. The race was really never all that close. And she lost by a solid and decisive margin, even though Raphael Warnock was doing considerably better in the Senate race. So when it just comes to sheer overrated hype, inability to perform, bad political instincts, remember, you know, claiming abortion was a key tool to fight inflation and all that. Yeah. Hey, Stacey Abrams, you are the most overrated political figure of 2022. Yeah, and it's interesting how even uh, well before Election Day, it was kind of basically surrendered by some. I mean, they still spent a lot of money on the race, but it was pretty hard to find uh, people who were serious about politics 
who were saying, oh, yeah, Stacey Abrams got a real good chance this year. Uh, now, she was always consistently behind five, six points. I think it was even a little bit more than that in the end. Uh, Brian Kemp uh, had a good campaign, uh, kept the ball between the tackles, and she was never really in it in terms of a very tight race. Uh, and, yeah, Stacey Abrams is kind of a part of the trio of people we hope uh, we never see on a ballot again, along with Beto and uh, and Charlie Crist. But I think she's a, a good choice to kind of spotlight for that particular issue. Uh, mine is far less fun, Jim, but it also uh, involves a number of people. And that's the Republican leadership <laughs> during this uh, midterm election year. It was supposed to be a red wave, possibly even bigger. It was a 50-50 Senate, only needed plus one to get there. Instead, it ended up being minus one. Uh, some people were talking 30, 40 uh, House seats. That was my biggest mistake on the projections was uh, thinking the Republicans were going to do really well with the with the new map and everything. They barely got over the finish line. As of this taping, Kevin McCarthy still not guaranteed to have enough votes on the House floor to be elected speaker. But my guess is eventually they'll get there. I don't know. But, uh, you know, they talk about the mix. McDaniel, McConnell, McCarthy, uh, and I would absolutely throw Donald Trump in there, too. First of all, Trump endorsing terrible, terrible candidates across the board, uh, basically as a result of personal flattery. Dr. Oz, clearly not the best choice in Pennsylvania. Uh, Herschel Walker, uh, we've talked about him fairly recently. Uh, a lot of people uh, admitting, especially after the, the loss in the runoff, that there were far better choices in Georgia there. Uh, Blake Masters in Arizona. Don Bolduck, who got blown out in New Hampshire. Uh, then you've got Mastriano in uh, Pennsylvania, uh, who was running the primary against uh, one of the first people to ever endorse Trump in Lou Barletta. Don't know if Lou Barletta would have won, but Mastriano got Trump's endorsement because Mastriano uh, was much more focused on the 2020 election results than than Barletta was. Even J.D. Vance, who won, was a lot harder to get across the finish line uh, than perhaps some of the other candidates. Uh, then you go to Ronna McDaniel, underperformed at every level across the board, did not pick up very many governor seats, won, didn't pick up a single Senate seat. Uh, then Kevin McCarthy, uh, you got to put a little bit of blame on him for barely getting across the finish line there. Mitch McConnell uh, telling everybody, hey, don't run on an agenda. Just hope that everybody notices how terrible Biden is doing. Well, that didn't pay off. And while Herschel Walker may have been a lousy candidate, Mitch McConnell probably could have spent uh, the month in between Election Day and the runoff uh, showing how principled and uh, you know feisty Republicans were to stop the Democratic agenda. Instead, they look more like they're ready to go along with uh, big pieces of it. And so if this is a party that thinks it's ready for 2024, it's not. That is a you have a much more depressing selection, but an exceptionally well-founded and well-defended one. Uh, Beto and and Charlie Crist would have been my backups if you had picked <laughs> Stacey Abrams as well, uh, Greg. But yeah, no, that, that was a good one. And I think that uh, really there were a lot of, of Republicans who went into 2022 believing that they had the wind at their back. And I kind of wonder if complacency kicked in. I kind of wonder if they took a lot of things for granted that they should not have and they're kicking themselves now. But actually, the consequences for the country will be even worse. Yeah. And hopefully the complacency is a little bit on the Democratic side now because everybody's backing away from challenging Biden on the left. And he's convinced himself that people love what he's doing as president, even though his approval ratings stink. And so uh, if the Democrats uh, go into 2024 thinking that everybody's in love with uh, what he's done as president, uh, that could that could bounce back uh, in the Republicans favor. But they're going to need a much better approach and, and better candidates and, and better leadership if they're going to get it done. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4patriots.com slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X, and of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. 
You want to be prepared. You don't want to get caught unprepared when your power goes out. It's going to happen eventually. It's just a question of whether you're in the dark for a few minutes, a few hours, or maybe even a few days or more. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X, worth its weight in gold. It's now got double the capacity, and it'll keep your big appliances running, including your fridge, which is full of food that just keeps getting more and more expensive. It's got 12 outlets, including 4 AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than normal. So visit 4patriots.com slash martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Jim. Uh, we move from overrated to underrated. Who tops your list for the most underrated political figure of 2022? Well, this one is kind of a little more intriguing, a little more fun. And I went with a figure who may well end up in more than one category for me. I selected Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, I think probably one of the most consequential Republican figures of the year. And I think what makes him underrated is, look, we, we knew he was going to win or we knew there was an exceptionally high chances of him winning. We knew Charlie Crist was a uh, less than perfect Democratic rival against him, but I don't think many people expected DeSantis to win by nearly 20 points. And they didn't expect him to do as well amongst uh, Latinos. They didn't expect him to do as well in South Florida, just, you know, mopping the floor uh, with with Crist in just about every conceivable category. By that standard, I think he was underrated. I think people knew, oh, okay, this is a rising star and people are talking about him for 2024. I think he has, you know, again, worth remembering, people say Florida is a Republican state, but Rick Scott won by 1% twice. Uh, you got to go back to Jeb Bush to find a Republican winning the governor's race by a wide margin. DeSantis only won by maybe 50,000 or so votes back in uh, 2018. Uh, and I think, you know, based on his House record, it was not clear that he was going to become this colossus on the stage of Florida politics, much less national politics. The COVID-19 pandemic changed a great deal of that. He became kind of the face of, you know, states that wanted to have a more lenient approach, a approach that allowed people to go out and live their lives a bit more and, and to, you know, accept a certain level of risk of trying to live their lives during the pandemic. And that, you know, a lot flowed out of that. And he became, you know, I think you can say, if not the front runner, then if, you know, if arguably the co-front runner or the near front runner for the Republican nomination. As of this recording, he has not announced. I don't expect him to announce for a while. But there's a reason people are looking at that. They're looking at what was a, once a pretty tightly hard-fought swing state, and it was a blowout. And I think that's kind of a sign that you are dealing with a rare political talent and uh, one that is definitely worth watching. But again, I think the, the, the conventional wisdom on Ron DeSantis really underestimated what he was capable of doing, both as a governor and on the campaign trail. Very well said. Yeah, he was a guy who wasn't supposed to win the nomination. Then he wasn't supposed to win the general. 
and thankfully he did, knowing what we know now about Andrew Gillum and his uh, past four years. Uh, but what he did smartly as he became governor was figure out issues that appealed to everybody. I mean, he took steps from a responsible perspective, conservative perspective, to deal with issues in the Everglades and the environmental issues. I mean, I remember we did a martini on his approval ratings uh, early on in his first year before the pandemic where you had uh, people of every uh, race and uh, every political persuasion, men, women, didn't matter. Uh, They loved him. He was above 50%, I think, on just about all of them. Then, of course, he became a more polarizing uh, uh, figure when it came to uh, COVID because the left decided to make him the bad guy while Andrew Cuomo was the good guy. We saw how that turned out on a number of fronts. Uh, But he just plugged away because he knew he was doing the right thing. Uh, If you look at not only the margin of victory, but uh, where he won, how he did amongst uh, Latinos and and immigrants and uh, across the board. You win by 20 points, you're going to look pretty good across the board. Uh, This is a guy who's set up very, very well for a presidential bid, assuming he wants to do that. So uh, good choice there. Uh, Jim, I was thinking about going depressing again uh, by saying, you know, it's not easy to navigate a 50-50 Senate, but I was going to go with Chuck Schumer, but then I realized from my last response that uh, part of the reason he's getting stuff done here, especially in the lame duck, is because Republicans are just helping him. Uh, that, that Once you got the Republicans on board, it doesn't take as much talent. Uh, so I'm going to go with a guy from a Senate race that for some reason in a purple state got virtually ignored the entire year. It was an open seat, North Carolina, Richard Ooh. Burr's retiring, thankfully. And so we had this matchup between Bud and Beasley. It got almost no play. There was uh, talk about how the national parties weren't spending much time there. And in the polls, it was just this steady bud lead, three, four points throughout the campaign season. And in the end on election night, he wins by three points. It's like this this whole thing was just very steady and smooth while we were, you know, figuring out what combination of words John Fetterman was going to spit out in a day or what was happening with the allegations against Herschel Walker or uh, Arizona governor's race or what have you. Ted Budd just, you know, just kept running the ball between the tackles, kept getting three, four yards of play, kept getting first downs, got it across the goal line. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, he's a former congressman. I think he's going to be a pretty solid member of the U.S. Senate. So uh, for a guy that flew under the radar in what should have been a very high profile race, seems like he did everything he needed to do to get the job done. And so we'll see what he does over the next six years. Greg, you have met your usual standard of "Mm, wish I'd thought of that one. That was a good choice. (laughs) Um, And yeah, because you think about it, I mean, not just now, Going back really for almost 20 years, this has been a, maybe even more than that, you could argue that North Carolina has been a once red, you know, Jesse Helms, conservative Republican state to a competitive one. You can think back to John Edwards, uh, I think it was okay, Hagan knocking off Elizabeth Dole, particularly the Senate races. Traditionally, there's been a shot for, for Democrats to win those races. Trump won the state twice, but not by a particularly large margin. And last year, Tom Tillis hung on by about 1%. So you'd think, oh, in a cycle like this, people would be paying a lot of attention to North Carolina. Maybe there were just too many other interesting or dramatic or uh, other you know, high-profile races that kind of squeezed it out of the spotlight. But uh, you're right that that kind of was this race that was under the radar the entire time. And maybe maybe you know, North Carolina has reestablished itself as a red state but just a red state where you don't see Republicans winning by a wide margin, just by a narrow margin fairly consistently. I guess Ron Johnson probably could have been thrown into that category. He looked like he was uh, uh, terrible approval numbers uh, mm. originally, but he got across the finish line as well. So while a lot of them got away in this midterm election year, there were a couple that uh, uh, were tight and went the right way. And so Ted Budd is, is one of those in North Carolina. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, this is Todd Herman, host of The Todd Herman Show. You might have heard me on Rush Limbaugh's show. I was a regular fill-in for about eight years. I now do a show out of the high mountains of free America because, you know, I got exiled from Seattle. Google Gemini correctly predicts the present day. Mind control matrix. The internet, television, even our phones wouldn't just be distractions, but tools used to manipulate the masses and suppress critical thinking. I said that correctly. Check out The Todd Herman Show every day on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, last one. Most honest political figure. Who won out of this distinguished large <laughs> crop of people who are always telling us the truth? I, I was going to say, we, we always say this is one of the toughest ones. And what I, I kind of stretched the definition of a political figure, but I think it was one of the more intriguing and surprising dynamics of the year. And that was in the run up to the uh, what turned into the Russian invasion of Ukraine. U.S. intelligence shared a great deal, uh, everything from maps to uh, signals intercepts to uh, you know plan- plans for a Russian false flag operation that was going to create pretext for the invasion. Uh, great Britain named specific Ukrainians that it said were tied to Russian intelligence that were plotting to overthrow Zelensky. The U.S. put out a lot of information and a lot of declassified intelligence in the run-up to the Russian invasion. And I remember... Ironically, considering how uh, Vladimir Zelensky is, you know, Times Man of the Year and you know widely seen as a hero of this war, in the run-up, the Ukrainian government and Zelensky kept acting like, no, no, we're not sure this is going to happen. Well, well, you never know what's going to happen. You know, and I remember seeing somebody saying that a lot of this came down to a translation issue. That the U.S. kept saying that based on the intelligence, based on what they were seeing, the Russian invasion appeared imminent. But I guess the way you translate the word into Ukrainian, it comes across as more inevitable. Now, imminent is telling you that it's, just, it's like a reference to a time period, right? It's going to happen very quickly. It's going to happen very close to now. When you're saying something is inevitable, you're not saying anything about the time, but you are saying that it is certain to happen. But either way, it was interesting. I remember at the time being surprised that the Ukrainians seemed, I don't want to say blasé, but not as concerned as you might think that uh, a Russian invasion was about to happen. That Russian invasion did happen. It happened pretty much in line with uh, the way the U.S. intelligence uh, declassifications indicated it would. Now, it's worth noting the U.S. did underestimate Zelensky's willingness to stay and fight. They did underestimate the resolve and, and fighting capabilities of the Ukrainian people and Ukrainian forces. And it overestimated the uh, capabilities and probably the... Um, the drive, the appetite for combat, um, and you know, intelligence of the Russian forces as they moved into Ukraine. 
So they didn't perfect. And I, you know, the U.S. intelligence community said they were doing reviews to see what can they learn? What did they know? But I think it's safe to say there were Russian sources that were giving the U.S. or its allies considerable information about this. And those figures, I would say, are the most honest figures of the year, certainly the most consequentially honest figures of the year. Um you know, we've seen the U.S. intelligence community make plenty of mistakes from not knowing the various countries were about to set off nuclear weapons to obviously the infamous case of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, et cetera, et cetera. But in this case, you know, we, we set up the CIA, we set up the intelligence community to watch Russia back in the 1950s or late 40s, really. And that they are, you know, spent a lot of practice at that. So when you try to move a whole bunch of forces into place to invade another country, we're going to notice and the intelligence turned out to be pretty accurate in this one. So that is my choice for the most honest figure of 2022. But I'm curious to hear who you thought deserved that honor. See, we do say nice things about the government once in a while. Once Not in a great while. Once in a great <laughs> while. When it's deserved, it's there. Uh, I'm going to go back to the midterm elections, Jim. And when it comes to uh, political candidates, the honest ones... Tell you the truth, uh, obviously, regardless of the political consequences. In this case, uh, there was political benefit to it as well, although not as much as uh, we would have liked. But if you're telling the truth, you're going to get some people who agree with you saying, thank you, finally. I know I'm not crazy here. Of course, this is what's happening. And other people saying, you know what? He's right. He's right. And for that, I give it to Lee Zeldin, who just laid it all out there for the people of New York. Laundry list of things that were going really bad for New York, especially crime. Uh, it's an easier argument to make when you get stabbed on stage in public, or at least somebody tried to, uh, and then immediately released uh, with no cash bail, which was exactly what he was talking about on stage at the time. And he made that a huge uh, part of his campaign as well. Uh, he, of course, uh, tied Kathy Hochul to a lot of the mistakes of the uh, Cuomo administration with the nursing home scandal and all sorts of other things. Uh, Hochul, not a particularly good candidate. Uh, it's a deep blue state, though. And in a state, you know, you look at what happened in California, where Newsom wins by more than 20 points and Illinois and even Michigan, which we thought was going to be a lot tighter. It turned out to be like a 10 or 11 point win for Whitmer. Uh, Kathy Hochul wins. What was it? Five point something, not even six percent. And so, unfortunately, I think some of those people moved to Florida to pad that 19 point win for for Ron DeSantis. But uh, in the end, uh, you know, it's a competitive state when one candidate is denying exactly what's happening, uh, even though they see it in front of them on social media and in their neighborhoods every day. And another one's telling the truth. There wasn't enough to get him over the finish line. But uh, Lee Zeldin ran about as good of a campaign as you can. And he and he ran a good campaign because he told people the truth. Yeah. And you know that I think about it. What's frustrating is that you look at Zeldin, you look at the passion, you look at the honesty, you look at the directness, you look at how the blunt talk about the serious problems befalling New York State and in particular New York City. You look at all that and you look at, say, the last Republican to hold that office, George Pataki. I don't mean to, you know, poo-poo George Pataki. Compared to the Democratic predecessors and successors, George Pataki looks like Winston Churchill. But I think if you said for sheer political talent, for sheer ability to uh, make the case for himself, I think you can say Lee Zeldin was a, to proved to be a better campaigner, certainly a better campaigner for this moment and this aspect of the New York political culture. And George Pataki won several races and Lee Zeldin could not, which I think a lot of people have speculated that one of the reasons that Lee Zeldin did not succeed is that the people who are most fed up with the governance in the state of New York have now all moved to Florida, which, by the way, may have a factor in why Ron DeSantis won by such a wide margin. So you look at that uh, in a very strange way. New York Democrats are getting rewarded for their failure. 
I wish I had a better prospect or better optimism about the metaphorical state of New York and the literal state of New York. Uh, but both are looking pretty bad right now. I think what you're trying to say, Jim, is that George Pataki was not necessarily a whirling dervish <laughs> of raw political charisma. Would that be accurate? That That is indeed. Yes, he has earned that label. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that takes care of our three awards for today. Overrated, underrated, and most honest political figures. Uh, when we come back on Monday, it'll be time for our next series of awards. Uh, the uh, figure we're most sorry to see go in 2022, along with Rising Star and the figure fading into political oblivion. So make sure you join us for those. And uh, further on in the week, we'll be talking about, you know, things like uh, best idea, worst idea. Uh, we'll take our shots at the media, as we always do. And then we'll end with the uh, person of the year, the turncoat of the year and predictions for 2023. So a lot to get to next week. But more important than all that, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Jim. Merry Christmas to our listeners uh, and everyone this holiday season. Merry Christmas to our listeners. Merry Christmas to you, Greg. And I hope everyone has a fun, safe, and wonderful holiday season. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a good friend about us as well. We'd love to have them along. Also, thank you for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. You still got a day or two to get Jim's brand new book for Christmas for somebody. Uh, Gathering Five Storms and the accompanying short story, Saving the Devil. Uh, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Merry Christmas, everyone. See you Monday on the next Three Martini Lunch. How much do you spend from your paycheck in about 100 days? The Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski. Every day, Chris helps unpack the connection between politics and the economy and how it affects your wallet. The federal government is on pace to spend over $1 trillion per every 100 days. Are Speaker Johnson and congressional Republicans doing anything about it? Enough is enough. Whether it's happening in D.C. or down on Wall Street, it's affecting you financially. Be informed. Check out the Watchdog on Wall Street podcast with Chris Markowski on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.